In our Joseph series, we've noted some things about Joseph. We've noted that he's been patient as he's waited for God's plan to unfold now over many years of his life. And we've noted that he's humble. Like every time he rises up, whether it be at Potiphar's house or in the prison or now with, with Pharaoh over all of Egypt, he continues to give God credit for all he is able to do. Um, and we've watched that even though his life has been challenged, he's found a gratitude in his heart, as we noted last week, um, in the naming of his sons, right? And um, just his recognizing that God had been working, though there's lots of questions still in his life, no doubt, at this point. Like he has found the blessings in life in spite of the current um, life that he's experiencing, and, and certainly in spite of the darkness of the past relationships of his life. And he's found significance, right? In his role now as advisor and then governor of Egypt, uh, he's found that he can help many people. And his life is, seems to be moving forward, but as is often the case, our past challenges create for us ongoing tests, right, that see how healthy we are in the present. The past challenges create these ongoing tests in our life. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. Okay, we're actually going to cover three chapters today, a little bit of this chapter, but then three more chapters in in the story as it's going to unfold in Joseph's life. We're going to read several verses along the way, though we're not going to read all three chapters this morning from the book of Genesis. Now, At the end of Genesis 41, which is where we left off last week, what happens is what had been foretold, and that is that there were seven years of abundance, and they took place, and as they did, Joseph enacted his plan, and he stored the grain as it came in. In fact, he stored so much grain over those seven years that they stopped counting it because there was so much that they weren't able to count at all. And then seven years of extreme um, famine began. And as a result of Joseph's leadership and all he had done, even though there was no grain being produced, the people were able to buy grain because of what Joseph had set aside during the years of plenty. And we also learn in chapter 41 that, that the famine was worldwide. And so everyone was coming to Egypt to buy grain. When we flip the page to Genesis chapter 42, we realize specifically that the famine was, was, was affecting Joseph's family back in his homeland. And so Jacob, his father, is going to send his brothers to buy grain in Egypt. Okay? Interestingly enough, we know Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph is gone, so he he only thinks he has 11 sons. But as he sends his sons to buy grain, he's only going to send 10 of them. Because his youngest, Benjamin, who's now the favored son, since Joseph is no longer the favored son, is held back. He says, just in case something might happen to them, I don't want it to happen to this one. So the 10 brothers arrive in Egypt, and they come face to face with Joseph, who's now the governor of Egypt and is selling the grain to the people who come from the different lands to Egypt to buy it. 
They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And when the brothers meet this Egyptian governor that they don't recognize, they bow to him to honor him. And so inside of Joseph (laughs) begins this trip down memory lane. He remembers the dream he had as a teenager. He remembers that in that dream, his brothers bowed down to him. And it must have seemed um, surreal and affirming and startling all at the same time that life was happening as God had given him a vision that it would happen, but now it was happening just like that. And so he talks with these men coming to buy grain. He talks to them about their family, and they learn that that their father Jacob, Joseph's father Jacob, is still alive. And they tell him that they used to have a brother who is no more, and that's talking about Joseph, who they believe is now dead, and that there's one more brother that didn't come with them. His name is Benjamin. And what's going to happen next over these three chapters is going to be a series of tests that Joseph is going to set up for these brothers to try to determine if these brothers of his, right, the ones that first abandoned him and then later ultimately sold him as a slave, whether they had changed or not. Now, the brothers just came to Egypt to buy grain, but as part of, Jason, as part of Joseph's plan, he accuses them of spying on Egypt. You're not coming to buy grain, you're just spies. You're here to do harm to our country. And though they insist they only want to buy grain, Joseph is working his plan. And so as part of his plan, he puts them in confinement for three days. And after three days, he tells them that they can leave, but he's going to hold their brother Simeon as a ransom, if you would. You go back, and to prove to me that you're not spies, I want you to bring to me your youngest brother. I want to meet him. And until you do that, I'm going to keep this brother, Simeon, as a prisoner until that happens. Well, that was a challenge for them. And that was a test for them. Will they abandon Simeon like they did Joseph all those years before? Would the brothers even make the connection? In in Joseph's mind, he is just overwhelmed by everything that has happened for the last 20 years being sold into slavery, all the things that took place, the dream from 20 years ago. And, and as you and I do sometimes when we are just overwhelmed with, with memories, whether they be good or bad, we're thinking, I wonder if they remember that. Or I wonder how they remember that. Or I wonder how they've dealt with that. Or if they've even dealt with that. Well, the question is answered in chapter 42. Th- these brothers begin to connect the dots between their own sins of 20 years ago and the events that are unfolding. Did they remember? Yes, they remembered. And here's how they remembered. Look at verse 21 of Genesis 42. They, meaning the brothers, said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. 
verse 23, they did not realize that Joseph could understand them because he was using an interpreter. And Joseph gets his first look at what might be regret and even a change of heart from his brothers. And he's moved by it, but committed to following through with his plan. So verse 24 says, he turned away from them and began to weep. He walked away, literally left them, and weep that they, that they, they remembered <laughs> and how they remembered. And then it says, but he came back and spoke to them again. And he had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes because this was a test. So nine or twelve... Ten brothers, there's a lot of brothers there. Ten brothers came to buy grain. Nine returned home to Jacob. And on their way, they discover that not only did they have grain in all of their bags, but in the mouth of each of their bags was the silver that was supposed to pay for the grain. And they were extremely confused. And so they report all this to their father Jacob when they get home. And we find the brothers, when they get home, they're afraid. They fear that they've been set up because they have the grain and they have the silver, but they don't have their brother Simeon. And they're incomplete. And they have to tell their father that the price for Simeon's freedom is that he has to send his youngest, his favored son, Benjamin, back to Egypt with them to prove their innocence, to prove they're not spies, and to get his son Simeon back. And pick up with me in verse 36 there of chapter 42, because this is how Jacob responds initially. He says, To his sons, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. And then Jacob decides after Reuben makes a plea for, Father, let me go, I'll get, I'll get Simeon back. He says in verse 38, my son, meaning Benjamin, will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Okay? Now for many of you, this soundtrack would not play in your mind but as I'm reading through this story in Genesis as I'm thinking through what Jacob must have felt all of a sudden in the back of my mind music's a powerful thing right so Buck Owens and Roy Clark start singing gloom despair and agony on me deep dark depression excessive misery if it weren't for bad luck I'd have no luck at all gloom despair and agony on me all right the rest of you can come back in now it's all right <laughs> all right I mean that's how he feels like could anything else happen literally could life get worse now two of my sons are gone and they want to take a third I can't control a lot of things but I can control that so Simeon remains in prison and the brothers remain with Jacob and he refuses to send his son Benjamin that is until the grain runs out again and he has to make a choice as a father do I send my son and the other boys? <laughs> I think that's how he thought of it sometimes. Or do I let us all die of starvation? And so Judah approaches his father this time. You remember Judah. Judah's the one who said, hey, let's not just leave him in that cistern. Let's sell him instead. That, that's the brother Judah, who now goes to his father and says, Father, 
send Benjamin with us. We don't have a choice. I will bring him back. I will bring Simeon back. If not, then I will be indebted to you all my life. I will make it happen. And he convinces him that it's really the only option that he has. And so in resignation, Jacob offers his best plan. But he's resigning himself to just how dismal the outlook is. Look in chapter 43 at verse 11. It says, Then their father Israel said to them, the boys, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Okay? Um, maybe better translations carry a little bit of the weight of what he said. One of them says this, for me, nothing's left. I've lost everything. That's his heart at this moment. Another one says, but if I must lose my children... So be it. He's resigned himself to the fact that his life might as well be over, right? So the brothers arrive in Egypt. And Joseph immediately upon seeing them and his brother Benjamin tells his servant to take them to his house and slaughter an animal because they're going to have lunch together that day. I mean, talk about mixed signals, right? Mixed messages. I mean, I left accused as a spy And I'm welcomed back to the table of the governor of Egypt. They didn't know what to make of it. Um, They were invited to eat at his house. But I think they were alarmed. How how do we keep getting signaled out in this way? There's nothing special about us. We just came to buy some grain. And so they confessed to to Joseph's servant what had happened previously. That they got home and they realized not only did they have the grain, but they had the silver. And they were worried about what that might mean for them. And I don't know if it's just because his servant had been in Joseph's house long enough. But he, he, he calms them. He actually assures them and says that God has been taking care of you. And he gives Simeon back to them. And so it's lunchtime and Joseph meets with them and, and he asks again about his father. And the now ten brothers introduced Joseph to his younger brother, Benjamin. Now this is Benjamin. Benjamin, who was a child last time he saw him, now an adult. Benjamin, who was his only connection to his mother who died giving birth to Benjamin. Benjamin, who was his connection to his father, who he hadn't seen in over two decades And it was, again, too much for him to take and remain composed. And so he steps aside and he weeps in private. And then he returns and they eat together. And and at the table, each brother receives an ample amount of food. And they pass test one. They actually came back for Simeon. But then comes test two because though each of them had ample amount of food, Benjamin on his plate had five times the amount of any of the rest of them. And Joseph is wondering, how are they going to respond when now one brother receives favored treatment, like Joseph once had received favored treatment? And it didn't seem to move them. And as they finished their meal, Joseph proceeded to send them on their way and prepare them for test number three. 
Because as he sent them on their way, he had a servant fill the bags with grain. And then in the mouth of each of the bags, he put the double portions of silver that they had brought to pay for the grain. And then in Benjamin's bag, he put Joseph's own personal silver cup as a plant to test them for what they would do. And so they took off, and Joseph let them get a ways away, and then he sends his servant after them to say, my master's cup is missing, which one of you has stolen it? (laughs) And they're, again, as they were previously at the thought of being spies, almost offended. What do you mean, we wouldn't steal your cup? Like if someone would steal your cup, we would all die for that. We're that certain that no one has taken that cup. So they all dismount, and they inspect their bags one by one, And in Benjamin's bag is found Joseph's cup that had been planted there by the servant. And at the sight of it, it says all of the brothers tore their clothes. So distressed, so brokenhearted, so downhearted, so so taken back by the thought of what that meant and all of the implications of it. And so they all returned to Egypt to face Joseph, who, who... questions them harshly and accuses them of stealing what was his. And yet this time, they all offer themselves as slaves. They said, no, don't take just him. Like, we will all become your slaves. Only let him go back. (laughs) They would give anything for their father not to lose his son. Such a different scenario than what happened 20 years before. Another sign that their hearts had changed. Now, remember, by now, Joseph is remembering the dream. Remember all of his brothers bowing before him. By now, Joseph is putting the pieces of the story together. Not only has his rise to being governor in Egypt, not only has that saved the people of Egypt and maybe some people around the world, but but he's actually had a part in saving his very own family. what about these brothers? What do you do with these brothers who betrayed you 20 years ago, who treated you so harshly, who literally sold you as a slave? Like before they controlled the narrative, now Joseph controls the narrative. And yet Joseph is realizing that God is the one who is actually writing the story. Oh, how helpful it would be for us <laughs> if we would sometimes get far enough away from it all to realize that God is the one who is actually writing the story. And I think the hinge point of the story comes to head when Joseph says in chapter 44, verse 17, only the man who is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. So Joseph gives them the out. The chance for the other ten of them to simply cut their losses and run. Just leave Benjamin. But have they changed? That's the test. Will they abandon their brother? Will they make up another lie to tell their father? Will they be willing to break his heart all over again? And I want us to listen to the words of Judah. Remember, Judah, the brother who suggested that they sell him. Judah, the brother who convinced his father, send us all, and if they don't come back, it'll be all on me. 
And listen to his words that represent the change that has taken place in the brothers. I'm in chapter 44, beginning in verse 18. It's a lengthy section. It says, Then Judah went up to him, meaning Joseph, and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, he will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to, our, to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. They don't tell him that he said, ain't no way he's going back with you. Okay, We pick up in verse 25 in the story. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down only if our youngest brother is with us. Will we go? We can't see the man's face unless your youngest, our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Okay? Now take a, just a pause there for a minute. This is the first time probably that Joseph has any idea what his father thinks about what has happened to him. This is the first time he has any clue that the brothers, what story the brothers might have given him. And remember, the brothers never told him that he died. Certainly they never told him that he was sold into slavery. They just said, we found his coat torn apart and covered by blood. And Joseph made up that story, and so the brothers went with it. Then in verse 29, he says, If you take this one from me too, meaning Jacob, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. Judah now talking. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So Judah's words reveal to us that the brothers have actually changed. I mean, they're now sensitive to their father's feelings. They've seen his grief at losing his son Joseph for over 20 years and cannot bear to add to it. And Judah himself, the one who was selling Joseph 20 years ago, is now willing to sacrifice his own life and become a slave so that his father's heart is not crushed once again. So we've spent this series talking about the changes that have happened in Joseph. Here in these chapters, we see that his brothers has changed as well. Okay? And now at this point in the series, you might get irritated because like, this is where we say to be continued. <laughs> okay? And some incredible things are going to happen beginning in chapter 45 when we pick it up next week. Just amazing things are going to happen. But I want to think about some of the things we learn in these three chapters.
in the story that I just laid out for you today. Things that help us to remain open in our life to what God is doing in us and what God is doing in the people around us if there is cooperation. Because the, the brothers remind us that, that our past often invades our present in some very challenging ways. Most of us know that is true. In the case of the brothers, I mean, they had had no resolution. It had been 20 years for sure, but this had all been buried. And it was brought back to life in a very painful way for them. In the case of, jo- of Jacob, I mean, there had been no resolution. His painful past was created by the decisions of others, what his, bro- what his son- sons decided to do. But he didn't know that any of it was his own doing. And so he felt helpless to change the situation. You hear it in his words. And in the case of Joseph, like no doubt he felt like he had moved on from his past. I mean, he was living a new life, and some would say he was living his best life. He was. But I would suggest to you that life has taught many of us that oftentimes we have to make peace with our past multiple times, okay? in layers, as new pockets of hurt get exposed over time and over events. So, so what I want us to understand biblically is this. When a new circumstance prompts an old hurt, it gives us a fresh opportunity for grace. A fresh opportunity because we are different. And because sometimes the people in our lives are different. I have walked with Jesus for 42 years. And I'm different because of it. And it doesn't mean that pieces of life do not get the pot stirred on a regular basis and that life is all figured out and worked out because those things just seem to come back up periodically. But each time they come up, they find a new person. And when the things in your life, the pot is stirred and the pain is revealed and a new layer and the scab is ripped off, you don't have to act like you did 20 years ago. You don't have to act like you did before Jesus changed us. Remember, we've talked about a disciple as someone who's been changed by Jesus. And so when new circumstances bring up old hurts, they don't happen to the same person because God has changed our lives. Now, it could look like any number of different things. So think about the person like the brothers who who were once the offender And sometimes because we're different, that means we actually seek forgiveness from the person that we have offended. They're going to do that before this story is over. Sometimes it just means actually owning the fact that we did something. Haven't you been irritated by someone just says, why don't you just say, I did it? Instead, we dance all around and we don't own things. And sometimes, like that new person just says, man, I was stupid. Man, that wasn't good man that dishonored my dad or my mom or my brother or my wife or my child or my husband or whoever. It was wrong, but I did it. And in all cases, what we hope is that someone demonstrates 
that they've been changed by making a different choice in the same opportunity. And that's what Joseph has been setting his brothers up for. As we're going to see, this is now four different tests that he give them, gives them. And each time they make a different choice than they seem to make 20 years before. Now sometimes when these new um, circumstances bring about old pains, sometimes like the best we can do is simply move forward in life. I'm thinking about Jacob here. I mean, Jacob set up the rivalry for his sons. He set up what happened so that Joseph would be sold into slavery and there would be that animosity between them. But, but Joseph, Jacob didn't sell Joseph into slavery. The brothers did that. Jacob didn't leave Simeon back in Egypt. The brothers did that as well. And so we find Jacob simply trying to find peace in the midst of his heartbreak and make the best decisions possible. And sometimes, like Jacob, all we can do is release it all to God and say, I, there's nothing I can do. This is my best choice, my best effort. God, you're going to have to take over from here. Okay? And then we think about Joseph. Because I think Joseph had experienced God's blessing, but he had yet to experience God's healing in it all. He wanted to love his brothers. I'm convinced of that. He certainly wanted to reconnect with his father. He wanted to be restored to his family. But for all of it to happen, he needed to know that his brothers were safe now. That they could actually be trusted. That they had been changed. And so grace on his part found him offering them a chance to prove that they had grown. And that they weren't who they once were. And that's wise, right? Sometimes it's not that we want to cut people out of our lives. It's just we want to be careful how much we give of our heart to them. How much we trust them. How much we give them the opportunity to hurt us again. And so we test to see have they changed and are they safe. And that's what Joseph was doing. And yet can we see that though there are many different storylines playing out here. Joseph and Jacob and the brothers all happening at once. I think they all hinge on the answer to the question, can people really change? Can they? Do they? Is it possible? So what do you believe about other people? And what do you believe about yourself? Like, has God changed you? If not, you need to ask yourself a hard why. Why is it that you have not allowed him to change you? And if the answer is yes, then why is it that you find yourself having a hard time believing that other people could be changed by God too, if you've experienced that change? I want to challenge you to believe this today. God changes lives Paul wrote in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here that doesn't mean we never again have to wrestle with events or hurts doesn't mean we're not going to have to wrestle with memories or betrayals or whatever's in our life. What it does mean 
is that you and I are no longer the same person. And we don't have to experience the same pain. Listen, people may remember who you were and what you did. And they may even use it against you in a hurtful way. And for many of us, if we're not careful, we may continue to punish ourselves for the wrong choices that we have made throughout our life. But God offers us grace. And in doing so, he offers us the opportunity to move beyond our past and into a different future as new people who are no longer bound by the guilt of our past. That's what we just celebrated a few minutes ago, that Jesus, through his death on the cross, paid the price for our past so that we don't have to keep paying it over and over and over again. So today, again, God is offering you grace, and he's offering you new life. For some of you, maybe it's the very first time, and you need to embrace him. And you need to walk away from your old life and walk into your new life. You need to walk into that baptistry and wash your sins away. Let God do it and bring up to life a new person. For most of us, we need to bury that past with that past person. And let God's grace wash over us anew and realize I'm not who I was. (laughs) And maybe someone else isn't who they were. And sin and the events of the past no longer hold sway over me. They might still break my heart, but they are not directing the course of my life anymore. If any of those things are things you need to embrace or changes you need to make today, I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing, and then I'm going to just step to the back, and I would love to help you walk through that today. Let's pray together. Father, again, we say that your grace is amazing. We watch as it changed the hearts of these brothers certainly it changed Joseph and Lord we can testify it has changed us may it continue to do so may we let loose of the things that we are holding on to that hold us back from being who you've called us to be in the life you've called us to live and may we let loose of the feelings toward others that do the very same thing so that you might be free to work in us and work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name.